aren't we? I'm so glad you decided to spend your Christmas morning with us. I hope that you're blessed so far. As we open our scriptures just for a moment this morning, let's turn to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Familiar passage of scripture there about the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the promises surrounding that. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to work on verses 1 through 7, and I promise I'll get you home in time for football games. Even though the best football team's not playing today, they played yesterday. Not Philadelphia. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, the word of the Lord. If you have your scriptures with you, please follow along. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken just as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this very thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, I just pray you bless us in this time together this morning. I pray that uh, you go beyond my simple words and speak directly to the hearts of your people. Use the power of the Holy Spirit in this word, and as we uh, gather together, to hear you speak, speak to the hearts of your people, encourage them, show them the truth of the promises that you have given us in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. The light has shone. This is what we celebrate. We uh, did two plays, uh, A Night in Bethlehem. We did it on the 11th and we did it again last night. And we had a candlelight service. Why do we do that every 2,000 years? We've been doing it every year since, right? Because Jesus has been born. The light has shown. The light has come into the world. As the passage says there in verse, two, in verse 2, on them light has shown. And it's the past participle of the verb to shine. In other words, it's, it, it, it is as real as the promise that was given 700 years before Christ as it is for us today the light has come into the world. The promise that is made in Jesus Christ has been fulfilled, and God has done these things among us. And if we look at it, it amazes me when we look at this in the, in the aspect of time. 2,000 years ago, after Abraham, or 2,000 years after Abraham hears about a seed, 1,400 years after Moses hears about a coming prophet, 
A thousand years after David hears about a coming king, 700 years after Isaiah tells us a son is given, 600 years after Daniel speaks of a stone, and nine months after Gabriel spoke to Mary, Jesus was born. And now 2,000 years later, we still celebrate every Christmas. We still anticipate the incarnation in this time of year, and rightly so, for light has come into the world. And a light is never so bright, but when it shines in the deepest, darkest hours of your life, it's when we're at our absolute bottom and our hearts are yearning, we most need the direction only this light can bring. Now, I will tell you that bottom implies that the person there on bottom has actually probably and almost always sought another means of salvation prior to hitting bottom and placed trust in things and men who had no power to save them. That's true bottom. That's the darkest in this human life. Because this is where true light shines the brightest. It's against the backdrop of all that is false and impotent to save, and that light becomes unmistakable. As we come to the text in Isaiah this morning, we see the nation of Israel in its deepest despair and its darkest hours. It is the most hopeless of situations, really, for them. God had promised them protection, and time and time again, in all of their history, God's promises were delivered on. Every, delivered, every promise that he made was true. He had made them, yet face, they, they had begun to face threats from an opposing nation, from the Syrians and the northern uh, tribes of Israel. King Ahaz, in the face of this oppression and this threatening, had the opportunity to once again trust God in all that God had said. He could trust God for his deliverance, just as we can today. Just as the light is in its past participle of the verb, it's as if it's already happened even when he gives the prophecy. We can trust God. You can trust God in every part of your life. You can just count on his promises being good. I can't imagine another place or another promise or another person that you can place trust in like God has given you the ability to place trust in what he has said. Well, King Ahaz was disappointed like we often are when we turn to the wrong place for salvation. The result was disastrous, and as Isaiah prophesied, when the king turned from the promises of God, the Assyrian army would overrun their land. How human is that, though, right? We all do that. When things are going good, we say, God, I've got this. I can handle this situation. I'm put myself on top. I'm running the race. I'm doing okay. I can handle these problems coming my way. And, you know, it's just the opposite. When we're totally on bottom, we're getting near bottom, we often say, oh, I haven't got time to go to God for this. I've got to do something immediately. You know, we trust things more than we trust prayer. We trust things more than we trust promises. We trust men more than we trust God. This Syrian invasion came down upon the nation from the north. You see that there in verse 1, the land allotted to Zebulun and Naphtali, being in the northernmost region, the people north of the Sea of the Galilee were the first to suffer the coming invasion. The, darkest first, the darkness first came upon them. It was a brutal time of war. If you've read anything about this in Scripture or history, you'll know it was a brutal time of war. The effects of King Ahaz's decision to trust his enemy were immediate. The darkness became greater. Verse 2 says the people walked in darkness. They dwelt in deep darkness. 
Beloved, I'll tell you that on December 25th, in the year of our Lord, 2022, we feel that darkness in our land, don't we? We feel that very darkness. We sense it's encroaching in our lives today. It is a deep darkness. Drug addiction, broken marriages, separated families, rampant sexual immorality, our border, the corruption in our government, our leaders at all levels, the homelessness, the fear of sickness and disease as we just come through COVID, a population, as I like to say, on pills. The dark is dark, and, and, and no time ever before, ever before do we need more the light of Jesus Christ. And what we see is that many have turned to every source except the one who can truly save. They've put the promises of God, put them away, and looked to our enemy to save. They put away the promises of God and the salvation and the light that comes in Christ and the hope we have in him to listen to the enemy and to men who are filled with the unrighteousness of suppressing the truth. Bottom has to be near here somewhere, doesn't it? And look how light and bright the light shines. The people of our land walk in deep darkness, but they don't have to. That's the sad part of the situation, but it's also the hope in the situation. You see it there in verse 1, chapter 9. Follow along with me there. Do you see what it says? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. We often just bounce right past that. I think part of that is because we live in the place that we live. We're kind of used to gloom. We're kind of, as I tell my wife sometimes, that's all sad face. I'm tired of sad face around here. Let's all smile. You can go ahead and smile this morning. No more sad face. Listen, it's in the world we live. We kind of get pulled down into this sad face, this destruction all around us. And it's a, a bit of a self-perpetuating situation that success begets success. It's a, my parents used to call it, or back in the day uh, when I was, uh, uh, you know, Kevin's age, uh, young guy, just going to church when I was 15 years old, they called it the slippery slope. You remember that? Right? Well, the slopes increase because all most people do is point to worse behavior to justify their bad behavior, and it just sucks us down into the pit of the abyss. And as the behavior worsens around us in our culture and in our lives, we kind of get sucked down in that. But that's not the way of Scripture. (laughs) The passage here starts out with the good news of the light coming. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. You see that in the verse 1? We can skip right past that. It says, in the former time, God brought this upon his people for their disobedience, for trusting in the darkness. But they were making a deal with the devil, as many do today. But verse 1b says, But in the later time, he, God, has made the way glorious, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, plural, nations. He's made the way glorious because of the light. Beloved, this is what John declares in his gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it has not overcome it cannot overcome it will not overcome it the light has come and it is unmistakable this former and latter uh, language this morning is indicative of how people feel after they find jesus after they find truth after they're released from the bondage of the darkness released from the bondage of death when they hear the good news of jesus christ it becomes a former problem that is Now a latter joy 
Formerly you felt as if you were under siege of darkness. You had no hope, but God has made a way. He has given us great and precious promises, as Peter would write, in Christ. And the former way is remembered no longer. And now in these latter times, God has made glorious the way of Jesus Christ. And that word glorious, it points to everything that is true, good, and beautiful which is just the opposite of what we're pointing to when we point down that slope that I was talking about. It's just the opposite of what our world wants to dwell on. Christ points us to what is true, good, and beautiful. And if we look into what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful long enough, you know where we get? At the end of everything true, at the end of everything good, at the end of everything beautiful is Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And at the end of everything just opposite of that is death and darkness and the devil. That word glorious, it points to everything that is true, good, and beautiful. It's a word of deliverance this morning, beloved. The word we exclaim at the miracle of a birth. It is the word we shout when we find that the light overcomes the dark. It is the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul writes. It is that word that will be on your lips on that day when you cross over Jordan and see the face of Jesus Christ for the first time. You'll exclaim, glorious is the light. Glorious is the light. It'll break forth and burst away the darkness of this place in a moment's notice. As death gives way to victory, it'll be glorious. And these promises are not just for a certain group of people. This promise is for the nations. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been focusing a lot on that word nations. This is in the Hebrew, it's, it's pronounced goim. But if we look at the Septuagint in the Greek, we'll find that it is our, our familiar term, ethnos, which is translated nations or peoples or Gentiles. We get the English word ethnicity from this. This glorious light is for the nations, for all people who will come to this light. Believe the glory and believe in the light promised. It is for the nations. Here's an Old Testament promise of the glory of Israel being the glory of the nations. That light which was promised, which has come, is for all who will repent and turn away from the darkness of this world and to this glorious light. This whole text is full of that truth. Just look at how it's written. Look at how the grammar exposes the truth of the word of God. And look at how the Holy Spirit is communicating with us this morning. See that in verse 2 there? That's in the past tense. The people who walked have seen a a great light. That is what's called a a prophetic past tense verb. They, They walked in darkness and the light had not yet come, yet the light being the promises of God was as good as come, and they could believe in it and be delivered even from the darkness of that hour. It's speaking of a future light, as I said, the light coming into the world as we get from John chapter 1, verse 9, and yet, because it's a promise of God and communicated to man, it's as good as, even for those Old Testament saints, as for they already come true today. Beloved, Isaiah wrote these words some 700 plus years before Jesus was born, before the beloved light would even come to the earth, before Jesus would be born of a virgin, the promises were sure and good and true. Listen closely, weary souls this morning, listen very closely to me. If you're tired and you're worn out from the dark, and I know, I know this for a fact that the dark seems all-consuming, 
I do a ton of counseling. I talk to people all the time who are overcome by the things of this world. I know that it seems as if the dark is somehow winning. But this dark, that is this dark's only tactic. And that is fear. The dark is not winning. God has already won and the light has already come. The dark is defeated, beloved. That is the good news this morning, that the dark is defeated. The dark has already lost its battle with the light. It will not, indeed, it cannot overcome the light. As hard as it tries, it cannot overcome the glorious light of Jesus. So it's in the deepest of dark places there has always been, and there will always be those who celebrate this light. Listen to me. A defeated enemy only wants to lie and distract you from the light. You ever heard those voices? I'm not good enough. You've done this in your past. There's no way that you can do this in your future. You ever heard those voices? You ever read that in your heart? That's what the defeated enemy likes to do, lie and distract, because that's how it keeps you in bondage. The dark wants you dependent and fearful, and I could give you numerous illustrations, but you know the truth here. Look at the recent pandemic. My goodness, the dark had us wiping down our groceries. Laugh at that, please. The, the, the dark had us doing things like that. We were people who washed down our crow. We put more faith in doing that and wearing masks than in prayer, beloved. How could we do that? We put more faith in those things than we did the sovereign creator of all the ends of the earth. Who are we as a people of the light? But this is exactly what the dark wants you to do. It makes you believe the lie. And once you do, it brings the shame and guilt and the fear that comes with the lie. Look at abortion. This is a premium example of the shame and the guilt that it brings. You could never be a child of God by killing a baby. The shame and the guilt that comes after that is overwhelming. Perhaps some of you are suffering from that this morning but i tell you that the light is brighter than any bad thing you've ever done in your life the forgiveness in jesus christ will overwhelm the shame and take it away from you the forgiveness and truth in jesus christ will bring a light so bright that it'll push back the lies and and the half-truths of the enemy that wants to keep you bound in darkness the dark is lying to you because the light says glorious you can be forgiven That is the whole work of the dark. It's to hold you in the bondage of darkness. Once the light comes, beloved, freedom comes. Forgiveness comes. Mercy comes. Grace comes. You are in the light and you are free from the chains of darkness. Listen to me. The dark lies, but the light holds promise. Do you see it there in verse 1a? I know I'm spending a lot of time in in verse 1. And if we spend about this much time in each verse, I promise we'll be out of here by 3 o'clock, right? But there will be no good for her who was in anguish. Listen to me. The dark lies, but the light holds promise. But there will be good for her who was in anguish. Only joy. Look at verse 2. I love these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. These are all past tense. Them On them, those people, on you, on us, on this nation, on every nation, the light has shone. And because the light has come, it's likened to a great harvest. You go on in verse 3, you see this. You have multiplied the nation. That's what we need. That's what my heart wants. I want to, my joy increased. I want to be multiplied. I don't want to be taken away from and subtract. That's what the dark does. It, it pulls you down. It singles you out as, 
as just your sin and just the bad mistakes that you've made, and it does not give you the truth of what Christ can do in your life. It robs your joy, beloved. Don't let anxiety and fear and the dark do that because that's what it's doing. Because that's not what Christ wants for you. The passage is clear here of what God is teaching us through the Holy Spirit. He's multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. You've turned it from the dark to the light, and it's increasing. It's all that's true, good, and beautiful. You've heard me talk about this before, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail, but we live in a throwaway society. Everything is disposable. 250 years ago, they built beautiful things, and they continued to make beautiful things all to the glory of the Lord because they, had the, they could do it. They were expanded. They were multiplied. They were blessed. They, they built things as if they were joyful and believed in the light. And we kind of do things today where we think we're not going to be here long, that these things won't matter, but they all matter in God's economy. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as with the gladness that comes from winning a great battle and dividing the spoil. Listen, beloved, when you win the battle against the darkness in your life, when you push out the lies of the enemy and you say, no longer will I hear these things because I know they are simply not true, it is a great spoil to divide in your life. You'll look at that Genesis 1.28 where it says, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And you'll go, maybe I can do that. That's what grace brings back. That's the covenant promises. You've pushed away the darkness lies. You believed in the promise of the light of Jesus Christ and you go forward to do what God has called you to do. Look at this chapter, uh, verse four, for the yoke, the staff and the rod. The yoke and the staff of, uh, the yoke of burden that the dark has put on you and the staff uh, that he holds you down under the weight, under your shoulder, and the rod of the oppressor, that's the enemy, that's the devil. You have broken as on the day of Midian. Listen, this founding is in sin. This oppression, the reason you believe the lies is because sin is a part of your life. And once you get rid of the sin burden and understand what Jesus has done for that, that yoke of oppression, that staff, that weight on your shoulder, the rod of your oppressor will be off you and you can live. It'll be a great victory as in the day of Midian when God delivered the people. You'll feel that great victory that has come upon you and he will push away every every enemy away from you. Ultimately, if you believe the promises of God, even death is gain. Even death is gained for every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of tumult. Every garment that's rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Listen to me. Everything that's evil will be gone. Burned as fuel for the fire. My sweet mom loved that one phrase of the Bible. All these things, all these things that you're fretting over, that you're so worried about, will be fuel for the fire. And it'll be the fire that refines when God comes to push away all sin and death and disease and destruction. Everything that's not true, beautiful, and good in his light will be fuel for the fire. Everything that you're worried about will be vanquished before your eyes in Jesus Christ. It's your sin that brings that to you. It's your sin that pulls you down that hole. You've got to deal with your sin. 
And the only way to deal with your sin is through a Savior who came 2,000 years ago. Listen, he was born of a virgin. He laid in a manger. The most humblest of beginnings. We told that simple, sweet story last night. But he grew as a man to be tested by every sin, and he was found perfect. And because he was a perfect sacrifice, and because he was God, fully God, and because he was fully man, he had a body to give. And he went to the cross of Calvary to die on your behalf. And that may be a sad face story, but it's the greatest sad face story that's ever told, because in that, the light is shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and salvation. How do I know that promise is true? Because it's backed up by the greatest collateral that's ever been. Listen, people ask all the time for assurance about a word that's given. Maybe it's the bank. They They want to back up your loan, your signature. It's not good enough. They want the collateral. If it's a legal agreement between you and another party about some matter, it's often signed by a legal contract, a legal document uh, that gives the necessary assurance that each party needs to sign and fulfill that contract. Whatever the matter, people want assurance about a word that's been given. And I suppose that a word given from God to most needs even some proof. God, the creator of all the ends of the earth, that's able to do anything, as I said Multiple times before, the one who, uh, and I love to create things, the master creator those created everything, and anything that I make are made out of things that he made from nothing. He is that God. He is that sovereign control. He's that transcendent presence that brings in his law, and that law tells us of his character, his goodness. But he goes beyond that because he's dealing with us in our sin, and he says, I tell you what, to make all of this promise true, I'm going to give you my only begotten son. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Nobody gives their son an assurance of a contract except God. It's a promise that he has made that will not fall to the ground. But that son is not just any son. He's the son of God and the son of man. Look at what he changes as he comes into the world. Look at the way that scriptures describe him here. The government will be upon his shoulder. All of the governance of everything and all of creation's Colossians 1 says he upholds it. Hebrews 1 says he upholds it by the word of his power. The whole government, the whole thing, everything that's been created will be under his power and is under his power at this very moment and his name shall be called it says wonderful counselor juxtapose these truths and these adjectives about who Jesus is to be against the government that we now have and the leaders we now have all of history is an account of leaders we wish would have been better Evil leaders, almost every one of them is corrupted by power at some level, but not this leader, because all of it will be on his shoulder, and every one of his subjects will look to him and say, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you know what you're going to think? It can't, it can't, it's got to end somewhere. That's how who we are. It can't be that good, right? It just can't be because we're so used to the bad here. But verse 7 collapses that whole notion, beloved. It collapses that whole notion. Give away everything 
the darkness is holding you under this morning. And we do have some good leaders, but we've got a lot of corrupt leaders. We do have great hope in this world, hope beyond measure, but there is great evil in this world. But it's overcome. It's overcome in the light. Because of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. You know what that passage is saying? It started when God promised it, and it continues to grow. Matthew would say it's like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that's planted into the ground. But once it's planted into the ground, it comes a, a plant that is so big, even the birds of air can make their nest into it. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about this government. He's talking about the reign of this Christ. It's going to grow, and it grows in the heart of men, and it grows to such a point, an increase of that growth, there will be no end of the increase of all that is true and good and beautiful. Beloved, God's promise is that there will be no end. This is a promise he made to David on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Man, our world longs for justice and righteousness this day. Does it not? It's at the end of every yearning heart to see justice, to see what's right that would come, to see righteousness, to see only the righteousness of this one who is. And the finish of this promise is that the one who created all the heavens and the earth will accomplish this. Beloved, I don't know where you stand today. I pray that your hope is in this light. I pray that you're putting more and more hope every day, every time you pick up his scriptures and hear one of his promises, that it increases you and your joy increases. That you push away the lies of this world and turn more and more over to Christ that your whole life be turned over to him and you say to him, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Do with me what you will please. I want the joy that comes from being yours and yours alone. I pray that that is your testimony this morning. Don't, don't mix this down with the things of the world because you will miss out on the joy that comes from the purity of this light, the truth of this scripture. Truth always pushes away the lie of the enemy. My prayer is that you're going after that truth aggressively day in and day out. That you felt that forgiveness. That no matter what mistake that you've done in your life, I don't care what it is, beloved. He doesn't make a list that he won't forgive. The only thing that he won't forgive in all of scripture, there's just one thing. That's if you won't come to him and believe. The light is shown. It still shines as brightly today. My prayer is that you see that light and you turn to it with all your life. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close this morning. I just pray that you would shine in the in the hearts of your people this morning, the light, the beautiful light of the glory of Jesus Christ and all that is true and good and beautiful. Help them to push away the things of this world. We get so embroiled, so embroiled in the day-to-day -day that we miss the good that's there, the joy, the enlargement you would have for us. My prayer is that you've done that in their lives, that they've considered these things. Father, but if there's one here yet today to come, that you would work in their heart in such a way as to 
regenerate that heart so that they could respond to you in repentance. And Father, in that response, that they would pursue you with all that they are. Pursue the joy and the grace that only you can bring. That they had to have a lifetime of not only pushing the dark out of their life, but the testimony uh, around those they love that the dark has no longer power over them. Father, that's my prayer. We, sh- we rejoice in the light that came some 2,000 years ago, promised before the foundations of the world and your son Jesus.